The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. How are we? Bueno, it was good this morning with the rain. I was like, ah, oh, I love the rain. And then I was like, wait a second, I got to get up for church. <laughs> and uh, I was surprised at how many people were here in the first service because, you know, it's one of those things where it's easy to make that excuse. Rain's coming down. It's like that slow, steady, and you just find yourself hitting the snooze button. You know, and then next thing you know, you've, you're like, oh, wait, it's 10 o'clock. It's summertime. Happy summer, teachers, students. You're free. You got a couple months ready to go. I've got to raise this because I'm, I'm feeling a little inadequate here. Um, all right, so welcome. I'm Pastor Matt. This is your first time. We're glad you're here today. Um, there's a guest card somewhere around you, and it's actually one in your worship guide. We redesigned those worship guides. You have it in there. You can fill that out. We don't do anything crazy. We have an amazing follow-up team that helps us. Uh, our goal is to help you engage in everything that God uh, has created and called you to engage in. And uh, church is one of those things, walking with family and a local church body is a part of that. And we want to help you in that process and that journey. So we don't do anything weird with your uh, information. We don't uh, friend you on Facebook and start posting what our dinner plans are and um, try to make you feel jealous and all that stuff. We, you know, um, I do post pictures of what I'm grilling, by the way, sometimes, and just to, just because I, I, I like admiring my work and I want other people to share. You know, some people paint, I grill, so that's the way it is. Um, I asked this question in the first service, and uh, it kind of just launched us in. And I was thinking about it this week, and uh, how when was it not not if, but when? was the last time you found yourself in a situation that you had to explain yourself. I mean, maybe it was to a police officer. Mine normally starts out, well, honey, it was like this. You know, and I don't shop, but when I do, I end up finding myself in trouble, um, you know, because I get really excited about what I can find at Cabela's. Heather, not so much, you know, and it starts out, well, honey, it was like this. I just, it was on sale, right? I'm not the only one that's ever used those words. Come on, you are leaving me high and dry now. Like, what? What? I would never do that. Yeah. Anyway. Or you take your kid's approach. I like doing this one. It doesn't work since we're adults, but that, I don't know. You know, you ask your kids, why did you do that? I don't know. What were you thinking? I don't know. You know, there's scientific evidence, and kids, plug your ears for this, earmuffs kids, um, parents, there's actually scientific evidence that there's matter in their brain that has not yet connected that they don't know why they're doing the things they're doing. And so when they say, I don't know, there's actually scientific reasoning behind that. Okay, unplug your ears, kids. Kids, when your parents ask you, why did you, you better have a good explanation. I mean, because God's watching you. Um, but, but there hits that point, late teens, early 20s, um, where this gray matter in your brain starts firing and the reasoning skills develop. And part of maturity is being able to process uh, what's going on and even able to think through the reasoning skills of, if I do this, it might cause some of these results. It's the, it's the law of uh, Newton's third law of physics, right? Every action has an equal opposite reaction. Um, it's like that in relationships too. It doesn't always have to be opposite, 
but actions create reactions. I've been married long enough to tell you that actions create reactions. And you need to be wise enough and start praying for maturity to think, if I take this action, I want a positive reaction, right? I mean, I've learned enough to tell you what not to do. Um, You know, people ask me, well, how do I fix this? I don't know, but I can tell you what not to do because it's going to make it worse. I've learned that because I've had to go, well, honey, I was thinking this way. But actions create reactions. And Acts 11 is a continuation of Acts chapter 10, and we're going to see some reactions to gospel actions. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. And um, we're going to pick the story back up because uh, to catch you up, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. One of the reasons we do that is, is really, I, I believe that we, in, in our church, in our society, we're deficient in the Word of God. We have a deficiency in knowing the Bible and knowing Scripture. Um, I'm excited. We've got a community group that just launched again, uh, the Bible in 90 Days. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I always want to have a group like that going. Man, it, it, there is no downside to us as, as Christ followers or us as the church been in the Word of God. And so when we launched the church, we really wanted to say, what's the best way for us to to teach truth of Scripture? Go verse by verse. Now, we'll do series every once in a while, but the way we really do it is we drive it verse by verse. And and it's also a little bit challenging because it keeps us accountable to talk about the hard stuff because the Bible deals with difficult stuff, and we're going to hit it head on. So um, up to this point, we've seen... Uh, the church really start to take off. We're at a transitional time in this church age um, in Acts 10 and 11 because it's, it's, it's moving where the church is not and the gospel is not just for the Jews. God is opening that up to all people. And so it's really an incredible thing that we're seeing because when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we're seeing this gospel message go to the ends of the earth. And now we're seeing this gospel message being opened to all people, not just the Jews. And the reality is that this gospel message, when we, when we act in the gospel, there is implications to the gospel. Implications are just conclusions that can be drawn from something. So when we engage with the gospel, there's going to be conclusions that are drawn. We want to help close the gaps of those conclusions. We want to make sure that we're speaking truth and that we're not toting our message, but we're communicating clearly the message of Jesus so that those conclusions are drawn are based on truth, not opinion. And so those conclusions bring about belief. They bring about transformation, about healthy lives, about eternity. And eternity is not a timeline. When we, when we talk in church language about eternal life, the sweet by and by, it's not a time. It's a relationship. Jesus clarified that in John 17, that, that eternity, eternal life is a relationship, that we are known by God and we know him. We're not going to be worried about time, trust me. And, and that sweet by and by, that eternal life, we're not going to be fat baby angels floating on clouds selling toilet paper. Some of y'all really, I might have just torn up your idea of eternity in heaven, but I'm sorry. 
but that's not what it's going to be about. Um, but actions create reactions, and when we act in a gospel way, when I say gospel way, the gospel is the good news of Jesus, and this is central to our mission as a church. Our mission as a church is to not figure out how we can come in a room every Sunday and put on a good show or help people feel better or, or do just entertain you for an hour. Our purpose as a church is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus, period. I mean, everything we do has to filter, man, does this love God? Does this make Jesus clear? Does this help us love people? Does this bring glory to to God? Does this help me in the mission that God's created, not just us as a church, but us as people? Because our primary mission on the face of this earth, when we breathe our first to the point where we breathe our last, our mission is to bring God glory in everything we do. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy of it. Of all the things in creation, only the creator deserves worship. And that becomes our central mission. And we should be active participants in the glory of God. Not passive, not sitting by letting it happen. You see, God's going to get glory. Whether you engage in giving him glory or not, he is going to get glory. I mean, when you read in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God and there's the beings that are circling the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is going to get glory. He's not sitting in heaven going, oh, I really hope my kids behave and do the right thing so that I get glorified. God's going to get it. The, 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 the challenge for us is to be active participants in glorifying God. Okay, the words that I speak, the things that I do, the actions that I take, the reactions that come out of me as a result of input in my life, does that bring God glory? Does that give him honor? Does that give him fame? Does that praise him? Does that show him he is worthy of the respect that he is deserved? Because last week when we we came to the conclusion of the teaching, we really said and answered this question, why do we reach out to other people? Why through this gospel message, the, the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, why do we reach out to other people with this message? It's so God gets more glory. And so that becomes our mission and our function and our purpose. And so let's see how God gets glory through some actions and reactions and some, some craziness that goes on in Acts chapter 11. Let me start in verse 1. Uh, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay, this is a smack in the face to Peter. Think about it. Think about the last several stops on his little trip here. Peter had left. He goes to to, um, Joppa. In Joppa, you see what happens. A man who was born uh, or has been paralyzed for eight years is healed. Tabitha's life is restored. Tabitha's raised from the dead. Peter sees this. Peter's having a vision at Simon the Tanner's house, and God sends this vision to him. He wakes up. Three men are there from Caesarea, and they say, come with us. Peter goes, and he sees God do incredible things. Peter sees the point 
in human history, gospel history, church history, when God says, no longer is my message just to the Jewish nation, but to all men. I'm going after everybody. And Peter sees this. So you think about it. He's ready to go into the church and tell people what happened. That was his safe place. One of the responsibilities that I have as a pastor is to protect the safety of our community so that when we come in here, we can be who we are. We got messes. We can bring our messes. I mean, we got stuff. Let's bring our stuff. We've got things that are going on in our life that we we can't wait to share because it's amazing what we've seen God do in our life. This needs to be a safe place where we're not coming in with critical attitudes and critical spirits. And Peter's feeling the same way. He's wanting to go to a safe place. These are people that have have seen the gospel mission start and start to expand. And Peter goes in and he's like, I can't wait to share with them what's going on. They've already heard about it. And they criticize them. The word criticize is to sharply oppose. They had a problem with Peter. And the problem wasn't that he went and shared the gospel message. It wasn't that he went and preached Jesus to the Gentiles. The problem was he ate with them. Because you see, to sit down at the table and have a meal with them meant I accept you. I'm fellowshipping with you. There's an inclusion here. There's a relationship that's happening. Think about food, man. Food is central. It's not... It's not just for sustenance. Relationships are created around food. Think about the dinner table and how awesome and incredible that is when you go to dinner with friends and that takes that relationship to the depth. It's almost like, think of environments. When you have people to your house that stay in the entryway, there's not a real depth of relationship. You're like, okay, let's transact or whatever and then you leave. Or you invite people into, remember the sitting rooms? My grandmother had a sitting room and like people from the church would stop by and they would go into the sitting room and let's talk. It was visitation day and they would talk. But think about where life gets done. If your house has one of these kitchen islands, man, that's where life happens, baby. I mean, you lean on that kitchen island, you've got chips, salsa, chips, salsa, maybe some guacamole and some chips and sauce. Anyway, you lean on that, and that's where conversation happens. Think about when your closest friends, your core of friends get together, where do you end up? You end up standing on a hard tile floor, leaning on a hard countertop, engaging in life. Well, you could be sitting on a leather couch, man. I don't get it, but there's something about food that brings these relationships. This is Peter's experience with these men and women that were unclean. And the Jewish believers, the circumcised believers took issue with this because that means you're willing to get in and do life with them. You're getting dirty with them. They're unclean. Now you're unclean because you're getting involved in their mess. That's the problem. Who are these circumcised believers and why do they have this problem? These are people who had come into the Jewish faith. They later get called Judaizers. You're going to see Paul really lay the smack down with them in the book of Galatians. But what happens is they start saying, hey, it's all right if you want to preach Jesus, but this is wrong. Eating with them, they're unclean. Now, they can become a Christian, but here's the process. They have to get circumcised first. 
which if you're a grown man, that really makes you think about wanting to follow this whole thing. I'm just saying. So you've got to get circumcised first. You have to become a Jew. How do you do that? You follow the Jewish customs. You learn the Jewish law. You keep to the Jewish diet. You observe everything that the Jews do. And then you can be opened up to the gospel to become a follower of Christ, to be a believer in the way for the, to be a Christian. And in Acts 11, later, next week you'll see, this is where the, the church is first called Christians. So they, they weren't saying you can't be a Christian, but you've got to follow this process. You've got to do the things that, that we tell you to do. You've got to jump through the hoops that we decide you jump through. You've got to follow our law, our rules. Remember when Peter went into Cornelius' house, he said, you're well aware that our law says I'm not supposed to be here. That was this group. They held to the Mosaic law and felt like you had to be, you had to follow their process before you could get grace. Man, we can look at that and be very critical of it. Well, how hypocritical is that? Let me challenge this. Let me bring this home. How much are we like them today? How much do we look at people and say, they don't act like I do, they don't dress like I do, they don't believe exactly like I do, they don't say the same thing. I mean, you go down the list. They don't live in the same neighborhood. They don't drive the right car. They don't blah, 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 blah. And then they want to start coming into grace, and we start putting all these obstacles in front of them. Well, if you'll change the way you behave. Well, if you'll change the way you interact with people. If you'll change your language. If you'll change this. If you'll change this. And we just lay these hoops and obstacles in the way of people coming to grace. It's wrong. You know what we're teaching them? Let me teach you to be a hypocrite before you experience grace. Uh, That's hard, yes, but it's the truth. Stop it. God was doing something incredibly new in the world of saying all of these barriers are now open for people to experience grace. Transformation doesn't happen externally, by the way. You can't expect somebody to change their clothes before God changes their heart. Here's the reality. Let God transform their heart and then let the behavior be changed as a result of what the Holy Spirit does inside of them. Man, you're going to start seeing bigger change happen in our society, in our world, when we truly engage and say, let me love people. God's called me to engage the world around me with the message of Jesus because I can bring him glory by how I live this gospel, how I, it's, it's seen and evident in my life, and lives get changed as a result of what God's doing, the barriers he's breaking down, and he gets more worship, he gets more glory, and I become an active participant in it. We got we to gotta not think, hey, th- these people, they, they were just... They weren't as intelligent, and they just put up these hoops. We do it the same way. And I'll be honest with you. I'm going to protect the safety of our environment because this has to be a place where we come in. If we're going to get this critical, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to break down those walls inside of you. And if that's not going to happen, I'm going to help you find another church because I've got to protect the safety of our community. We got to come in here and we got to be excited about what God's doing. We've got to be excited about the lives that are being changed, even though we don't. Here's the beauty of the gospel God can change the lives, and He loves people that you don't think are lovable. 
and he can change people that you don't think are changeable. God still goes after the people we write off. So let's not write people off. Let's pray for them. God loves them. He loves them more than you can ever imagine or think to love them. So the gospel actions are going to create problems. And then the beauty of it is that obedience to God's will provides the explanation. They sharply opposed Peter. Here's what's incredible. Peter didn't go into defending himself. Peter just starts giving a witness and an account of what happened. It's kind of like Peter walks into the church and they're like, what's up, Peter? Hey, we hear what, what God did in Caesarea. We got a problem with you. And Peter's like, what? How do, what, what? I expected a different response. And so they start criticizing him, sharpening opposing him. Here's what Peter did. Hey, it happened like this. This is what happened. Go to verse 4. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to where I was. I looked I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men stood, or right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? All Peter did, when they started questioning, they had objections. He said, it's like this. This is what happened. So think about actions create reactions. Peter is on the roof, the men come, his action to go to Caesarea. He's asked, tell us, man, we're ready. Peter's reaction, he shares Jesus, he shares the gospel. The Cornelius' house's reaction is belief. God's reaction is he pours out the Holy Spirit on him. And what he's saying is, you are part of the church, you are part of my body. I have sealed you for the day of redemption. You are not excluded or unclean from grace. Peter goes back to the church. The church's reaction to this is criticism. Peter's reaction is to speak the truth about what just happened. He didn't try to romanticize it. He didn't try to to make it embellished. He didn't feel like he had to defend God. He just said, this is what happened. Remember, Jesus called us to be his witnesses to the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, not God's defenders. 
not people who argue for God, but his witnesses. It happened like this. You see, Peter could say this because he was walking in God's will. And I know that's a real big subject in church of like, well, what is God's will? How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know if I'm walking in God's will? Or how do I know if I'm doing God's will? Let me, let me give you some filters to determine about where you're at in God's will. The first one is what has God done? What's your personal experience with God? What have you seen him do in your past? I mean, this is verses 5 through 11 where, where Peter says, I was on the roof. I was praying. God sent this vision. And he said, don't call anything unclean. This is my experience with God. This is what God has done in my life. God tore down a barrier in my heart because I thought those people were unclean too. I thought they were outside of grace. I wasn't willing to go and engage with people, but God tore down the wall. That's what God's done in my life. I had walls. I had oppositions to people. There were people that I chose not to love, and God tore down that wall. So what has God done? What is God doing? This is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, Peter said this, uh, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So what is God doing in your life? Where is the Holy Spirit leading you? Now, if you just leave those two without the third, we're going to have problems. The third one brings them together. How does this line up with truth? So what God has done in your past and where God is leading you now, where does that line up with the truth of Scripture? Because God will not ask you to step outside of his word. God will not violate his word. He is that trustworthy. He is that true to his character that he will not violate his word. So when you start thinking, am I in God's will? You start thinking, what has God done in my life? If he hasn't done anything, then we've got some questions to ask ourselves. Or maybe God has done something in your past, but nothing's going on now. Man, start doing some self-evaluation. Where am I now? Am I spending time in God's word? Because here's the beauty of it. Let me, let me help you because we reduce God's will to a job. What is God's will for my life typically translates in our society, God, where do you want me to draw a paycheck from? Is it your will for my life? Is it God's will for me to work in this profession or this profession? God's will is what you do every day. God's will for our lives above everything is whatever we do in word or deed, we do it to the glory of God. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus in how we live our life. That's God's will. When you are obedient to that, you will start to develop personal experience based on what God has done in your life. You're going to live in the present experience of what God is doing in your life, and it's going to line up with Scripture. You know, we read amazing things about people who we think are unlovable becoming followers of Christ. I mean, Look at Peter himself. He was a hothead. He denied Jesus. He said, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, absolutely, you will. You have Peter standing up in Jesus. Look at verse 17. This is Peter's realization as he's speaking to them. He says, so if God gave them the same spirit as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? 
See, Peter went back to the word of God as he's sharing this witness. He says these things. He says, I went back to what God's done in my life. He tore down walls. Here's what's going on. The Spirit led me and said, follow them without hesitation to Cornelius' house. And as I was teaching to them, this is what happened. And then I remembered the words that Jesus said. John baptized with water. I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In order to recall the words of Jesus, you've got to be close to Jesus. In order to remember what Jesus had said, you've got to hear him say it. In order for us in this context to understand and go back and remember the words of Scripture, we've got to engage with the words of Scripture. We've got to spend time in it. What is God saying in His Word? Because that's His character. That's how He's leading us. And then Peter says, who was I to oppose God in this? I don't, Peter didn't say it. It's not Luke didn't record it. But I'm wondering if Peter remembered, hey, I tried to oppose Jesus one time. When he's like, God, I'm not, Jesus, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. What did Jesus respond? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus called one of his disciples, Satan, said, get behind me, Satan. I'm not even going to entertain that thought. You are not going to oppose me. God's going to get glory. Are we going to be an active participant or a passive participant in that glory? Peter chose not to oppose him. Let me say this. Good choice, Peter. Peter, man, he could be a hothead sometimes. He could... He would spout off things, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to let wisdom pervade. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about if I act in opposing God, what's the reaction there? That's wisdom. That's maturity. That's growing up. That's, that's making big boy decisions there, Peter. I'm not going to oppose God. I think that was a good thing. And so what was the result of all of this? It... it is God receiving more worship in reaction to changed lives? Listen to verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Peter's witness, saying it happened like this, quieted their objections, and so not only did the circumcised believers and the people who were critical in the church say, we don't have any further objections, they praised God. Because they realized, man, we're seeing God do something new. And so God got more worship in reaction to lives changed. Obedience to God's will is going to help us be active participants in bringing God glory and praise. When we are walking and living the life God's created us to live, that's when we're going to be active. That's when we're going to see life change. We're going to see things happen. And so you start thinking about this. Actions create reactions. So actions. And Peter shares the gospel to people who are considered unclean. He eats with them. The reaction of the church was critical. Peter's reaction was, this is all that happened. This is the witness of it. The church's reaction at this point was praise. More praise from more people. Now, this did two things. 
This brought unity in the body because the Holy Spirit is now not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And so there's unity in the body. And I believe God did it in such a fashion to say, you cannot mistake that this was God because I have not called these people to be unclean, but to be clean. And they are holy. They are part of the body of Christ. So there's unity there. Here's the other thing that you have to realize. There's also a reaction that we'll see later down the road. This drove a wedge between the Christian believers and the temple worshipers. And we'll see that played out. This is really, this is one of those wedges that starts the opposition, the Jewish opposition to the church. And we'll see that played out through the book of Acts and even a lot of you'll see in the the New Testament. So what's your reaction? I mean, you can either have an immediate reaction, reaction, delayed reaction, but there is a reaction. Your action of coming and sitting and opening yourselves to hear the word of God is going to create a reaction in the depth of your soul that has to be reconciled with your mind and through your heart. And so what is your reaction to the gospel message? Maybe you're like, well, I've believed it. Maybe there's something to happen in the past, but there's nothing happening now. The gospel message is this, that, that God stepped out of the glory of heaven and humbled himself and was born into a manger, was laid in a manger, lived a perfect life. He was God in flesh, and he did not think equality with God was something that he could grasp. He humbled himself as a servant. He walked the road of Calvary. He hung on a cross, and the weight of the sins of the world was laid on his shoulders, He was placed in a borrowed tomb and was resurrected on the third day. Also part of that good news, he wasn't resting in the tomb. While he was in the tomb, Jesus entered hell, defeated hell, took the keys from the devil himself, and he holds them. I personally find that good news because I face some things in my life that are difficult, but I don't face anything big enough that I've got to go try to wrestle the keys of hell from Satan. That's already been done. To me, that's good news. That's the gospel message. And that in all of that, why did Jesus do that? I know which, this will create emails. Why did Jesus do that? To bring glory to God. More worshipers worshiping God. Why do we let the gospel message take root in our life and we believe in it? because we become an active worshiper, bringing more glory to God. That's the gospel message. What about the gospel mission? What's your reaction? Are you critical about what God's doing around you? I'm gonna pray for us, and maybe the first steps are, man, pray for you to believe and pray for engaging. Because the gospel isn't something that just saves us. The gospel saves us, sustains us, and carries us home. And we engage in that mission the moment we we believe in the message. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the message, the truth of the gospel, the truth that, that in your active participation, Jesus, in your active participation of bringing God worship and glory, you wrapped yourself in flesh You lived a life that only God in the flesh can live. 
You died a death that only God in the flesh can die. You defeated hell in a way that only God can do. And you walked out of the tomb as only God can do. We thank you for that message. And we thank you for the mission of of bringing glory to God. And so I ask you right now that in the depths of our soul that, that you birth belief not for us, but so we can give it back to you so that our life can be transformed and changed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, God, because that's where true transformation happens. Father, I also pray for courage. I pray for strength, and I pray for motivation to engage in the gospel mission that we're not willing to bend and stop what you've called us to do because of critical thoughts or criticism or any other thing that the enemy could use to try to slow down or get in the way of the gospel. But Father, we just tell, this is what we've experienced. This is who you are. This is who Jesus is. And we're going to go forward. And we're going to praise you through it. Father, I pray for every person in this room that in the depths of their soul as you're stirring, I pray that you stir their intellect. I pray that you stir their emotions. I pray that their whole being is stirred so that we can process, think, and wrestle through this. And God, we ask that you continue to protect the safety of our church community so that we do have a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to wrestle, a safe place for that belief to bear uh, root and then bear fruit. God, a safe place to launch the gospel mission that you've called us to. And I pray that as we leave here, we, we leave encouraged and we leave praising you because we're not trying to oppose you, but we're submitting to your will to walk in obedience to you. And I pray that this week you give us everything we need to reflect you well and to glorify you in everything we do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.